When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you have a mom or motherly figure in your life who loves books? Get them the gift of tailored book recommendations for Mother's Day, which, P.S., is coming soon. When you do, your mom or motherly figure can tell TBR about their reading likes and dislikes and what they're looking for. Then they can just sit back while their bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for them. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email. Gifts start at only $16, so there's a gift option for any budget. TBR subscribers are matched to bibliologists based on their requests. So if your parent loves thrillers, wants to read more romance, is looking for poetry by writers of color, or maybe some space opera, we've got someone who knows just what to recommend, so you don't have to guess. Our bibliologists can also check your mom's Goodreads accounts if they have one, saving you from gifting a book that's already been read. Plus, gifts can be scheduled so you won't miss Mother's Day. Go to mytbr.co to give your mom, motherly figure, or parent the gift of tailored book recommendations. That's mytbr.co. Hello, hello, and welcome back to When in Romance, where we talk about all the things that are happening in the romance world, whether it's books, people, or just weirdness. I am Jess. And I am Trisha. And at least the weirdness is sometimes romantic, maybe? Yeah, I mean, true. Very, very true. Yeah. Maybe I'm feeling optimistic. I mean, optimism is good. We like optimism. But anyway, we are recording episode 82. On Thursday, April 29th, 2021. We are indeed. We are officially starting to kind of get into spring. Spring. Yeah, the weather dropped from the 90s to the 60s and went back up, but, you know, spring. Well, that's spring. That's how it goes. (laughs) Back and forth, up and down, round and round, unpredictable, in like a lion, out like a lamb, etc. Or something. Yeah, I don't know. There are fighting morning doves in my backyard. I mean, you know. And there will soon be cicadas in mine. So, Uh, you know, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. (laughs) All right. Well, we have a bunch to get to today. So we will. (laughs) Cicadas, fighting morning doves, lions, lambs. All of the all of nature's creatures aside, (laughs) we will we will jump into this. Well, all of nature's creatures aside from humans in love, (laughs) and some non-humans. We'll get to that later. That's a little bit of a teaser for you. As always, we will start by asking you to rate and review the show. It helps other people find it. So please do that. And Jess, I teased this a little bit to you before we started. Mm-hmm. I heard from, I will mention their name because they've given us permission to use in the past. So I heard from Wendy, who uh, I think thought it was a little bit hilarious that we did not know what a toaster oven romance is. If you did not listen to the last episode, we were talking about crockpot romances. Jess, what is a crockpot romance for those who are uninitiated? 
A crockpot romance is a name that was given to some wonderful people on Twitter to a very much slow burn romance where it just takes forever, but eventually gets cooking. Yeah, oh, see, eventually it does. And so we had some guesses, I think, that we maybe talked through about what a toaster oven romance is. All I can tell you is that we were very wrong. (laughs) So a toaster oven romance is what is sometimes referred to as an FF romance or a WLW, so female-female or woman-loving woman romance, wherein one of the characters who is a lesbian sort of, this is all big time air quotes, converts a formerly straight woman into then also being gay. And again, like, we all know that, including uh, Wendy who sent this to us, we all know that that is not how sexuality works. But <laughs> apparently it comes back to, we're, we're not entirely sure, but one of the most uh, prominent pop culture references to this was mm-hmm. on the episode of Ellen mm-hmm. in the late 90s where Ellen came out. There was a joke, I think it was, might have been Laura Dern who played the woman that she was, I don't remember if they started dating or if they just were chatting and flirting who made a joke that if they were able to quote unquote convert someone, they all, you know, after 10 people, they got a free toaster oven, like something like that. So that is where toaster oven romance comes from. That's this sort of like joke that, again, we all know this is not how sexuality works. But if theoretically you, you know, turn someone from being interested in one person, you know, one kind of sexuality or gender to another, then you are a toaster oven romance. You know... I knew the toaster thing because, you know, eventually you discover the toaster thing and I was probably responsible for one a long time ago, but I didn't make the connection to, Mm -hmm. like, I think so much talking about crockpots and the fact that the actual action of a crockpot was what was we're referencing made me immediately think, well, the opposite of that is a toaster oven. So, (laughs) I mean... I don't think any of us understood quite the the depth and dimension that there could be in using kitchen appliances to describe romances. Yeah. This is, I mean, it's a whole new level. We gotta find out what the Instant Pot one is. That is the op- the actual opposite of a crockpot, actually, so. Yes. Yeah. Coming soon to When in Romance, Instant Pot Romances. <laughs> also, a Dutch oven romance. Although, to be fair... I don't know what a Dutch oven is in real life, so I definitely don't know what it is in romance. There are just some things we don't need to know. So We'll have to get somebody to write a whole screed about that. I mean, is that that the one where you have like the, like you have one pot and then you boil water in it and you put another pot on top of it? We don't know. Okay, there's a reason this is not a cooking podcast. I will, we don't need to worry about that. Okay, (laughs) you have another... Instance of reader feedback wherein I don't believe, I could be wrong, any kitchen utensils, appliances, pots, pans, or otherwise are involved. No, although I haven't read any of these books, so it's quite possible that there are in interesting ways. Well, we'll learn. Thanks to another listener. Cowley is a common enough name that hopefully they are okay with me using it. Sent in some more adventure romance for mummy fans recommendations. And like I said, I haven't read any of them, although I've heard of two of them and might even own one, but haven't read it since purchase, which is the name of my memoir. 
And so, The Lady Traveler's Guide to Deception with an Unlikely Earl, a historical romance by Victoria Alexander, was one that they thought would be something that fans of The Mummy would enjoy. Another one is The Other Guy's Bride by Connie Brockway. That actually involves a budding archaeologist in a historical romance, so that's cool. And Saved by Her Enemy Warrior by Greta Gilbert is another one that Callie has not read, but thought it sounded fun. And I think it sounds pretty fun too, so I will have to pretend that I'm actually going to read it someday and acknowledge that it probably won't happen, but it's the thought that counts. Indeed. (laughs) So thank you for sending those recommendations along. Um, If you have any thoughts of other adventure romance, I think it's something that we all decided we really wanted to see. So yeah, if you see them out there, let us know. Yeah, and plenty of people have. So that's been really fun. Yeah. Thanks to you all. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of things that are very fun, um, as a quick reminder, on our next episode, we will be talking about Vivid by Beverly Jenkins for the When in Romance Book Club. Uh, so as a reminder, that episode is coming out May 17th. We will be talking about it two weeks from what is today for us, not not what is today. You know what? I'll just give you the date. It's <laughs> May 13th. We'll be talking about it May 13th. So feel free to send any thoughts, questions, observations you have. You know, we were talking a little bit about what to look for while reading. One of the things that I have been thinking about is that uh, part of what bumped this book to the top of our radar is that it was recently reissued into a hardcover, a beautiful hardcover for the 25th anniversary. Um, So it is both historical and also, as modern romance goes, a little bit on the older side. So I will be interested to kind of see whether there are places, you know, where it has aged, hasn't aged. Romance was different in the mid-90s. So I don't know. That will be one thing that's for of interest to me. So I don't know. If folks have uh, other things that they are thinking about or watching for while reading, please send them our way. That's a lot of housekeeping, Jess. That was a lot of housekeeping. You're absolutely right. But let's just move forward. Let's. All right. So this episode was sponsored by Amazon Publishing and Hummingbird Lane by Carolyn Brown. Sometimes you never know where you'll find yourself. As children, Emma Merrill and Sophia Mason promised to never lose touch, but their paths eventually diverged. Emma has struggled with depression. Sophie became an artist. Now they've reconnected and Sophie invites Emma away to a small artist colony in southern Texas, a beautiful landscape where wildflowers bloom. For Sophie and Emma, the artist's colony in Texas is more than a safe place. It's a second chance at friendship, love, and happiness. This novel is about the healing powers of art and friendship, and one of the characters, Emma, has suffered from depression, but in the company of such nurturing and creative strangers, especially Josh Corlin, the open-hearted manager of the commune, she allows herself to breathe again. So once again, read Hummingbird Lane by Carolyn Brown. You know, Jess, I have to wonder, now that we are talking about it, what the cover of that book looks like. I do too. Because, in in a not-so-subtle transition, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I am known for my subtle, subtle, clever transitions that that's not actually true at all. (laughs) But 
I will say you and I were talking a little bit. We've been talking the last few weeks about just various little things that kind of pop up around romance covers and why and how and what and what's good and what's not and how did this get re-released. And and it sort of seemed like we maybe just need to have a, I don't know, quarterly, biannual, whatever segment uh, about romance covers because they seem to be kind of a big deal. Yeah, and the trends are changing faster, I think, than they have been in the past. Yeah, I think that's true. And there's there's re-releases and there's I there's just sort of like there's illustrated versus non-illustrated versus sort of computer generated. I mean, it's just sort of I don't I guess my first question for you if we're talking about covers cuz there are a few specific things you want to talk about, but why do we care so much? Why is this a thing that comes up so often that we might actually have to name a segment about it? <laughs> cover corner. Cover clutch. Cover coverage. <gasps> coverage. <laughs> there you go. Coverage. <laughs> cover coverage. A regular segment on when in romance. But seriously, though, why? Why do we have to do so much cover coveraging? I, well, you know, like, there's the whole don't judge a book by its cover, but... A lot of us, I mean, that's the first thing we see. Sure, there are times when I'm going to hear about a book and what it's about or who wrote it or something before seeing what the book looks like or before finding a copy in a bookstore or on a shelf somewhere. But it really is the the first indication of what the book is going to be about. And like a lot of us are just visually minded enough that so much of what is happening on the outside influences our experience on the inside. That's deep. I like it. I try. Yeah, that can be the subtitle for cover clutch. <laughs> I will say too, I think I think there are two things about this that kind of strike me. The first is that there are so many romances mm. that you really do. It's not, you know, it's not a genre where you can necessarily read all the reviews or know exactly what you're looking for. So it really is, even though there are many genres that I think it's not helpful to judge a book by its cover in romance, it's kind of a necessity. Mm -hmm. You know, like you kind of need to be able to sort through the volume to be able to find what you're looking for. And so I think that's really helpful. But I will also say, I think I rely on the distinctiveness of a cover or at least what, because I'm with you, I'm totally visual when it comes to learning of any kind. And then if a cover gets re-released, it is hard for me to remember that I've already bought and read that book. Because much like, you know, in the same way that the volume of romance means that the covers independently are important. I'm just going to be honest. You know it. I know it. Everybody listening knows it. A lot of the names are very similar. Yeah. So when I'm trying to remember the difference between the Duchess War and the Duchess Deal and Romancing the Duke and the Duke who loved a Duchess or whatever the book is, <laughs> the cover is helpful, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it, it's helpful for me to know which book and which author and which thing I have already bought and read and wish I owned in another version or, you know, like, I think that that makes it a little tricky. Yeah. And, you know, we even like word of mouth, we sort of identify books by what we remember about the cover, it's like, oh, no, that Sarah McLean series, it wasn't the pink one, it was the blue one. Like, it's, mm -hmm. it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And I think and I don't know, you as a librarian, I think you probably have a better sense than I do. To me, it seems like that's not a thing that really happens as much in other genres. 
Yeah, I don't like I don't think it really does because for one thing, like you said, there are just so many. And mm-hmm. you know, with publishing being so prolific now, there are a lot of a lot of things, but I feel like with general fiction, literary fiction and even to some extent um like sci-fi and fantasy, even though all of them have their own trends in covers, they stick out individually to their readers. Yeah. Well, and I think even then, now getting sort of more into the specifics of of what has been happening a little bit recently, you were talking recently about a a book where it sort of seemed like the cover didn't exactly match what you expected from the content based on the cover. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I... I was talking about a book that I actually haven't read. I just um, saw an extensive amount of conversation about it online. But there seems to have been a relatively sudden shift where books that have like roads with a barn at the end or a beach scene with a sandal or maybe some small people in the distance where... We kind of have a mental thought of those being like the Debbie McComber books that are, yes. you know, heartwarming and maybe sensual, but not very sexy. Mm-hmm. There's been an increase in books with that kind of imagery on it with pretty sexy content. And, yeah, you know, that's fine. But there's something about like mental indicators of a certain thing. Like if you see a torso... You expect there to be some amount of sexiness to it. Like, I keep saying, this is going to be the most times I have said sexy in a conversation in <laughs> in the history of when in romance, but I can't is think it? of a better word. I don't know. We'll <laughs> see. We'll see. <laughs> I think we've already hit the mark. Like, that was, what, four times, maybe? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's not a word that's very common in my vocabulary. But uh, anyway... <laughs> And that's that's another interesting thing, especially with self-published romance. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I see a book and I'm like, I definitely read that book. And I realize I didn't read that book, but I read a book with the same stock image on it. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've made the connection so heavily in my mind that I can't imagine another book existing with that same dude on the cover. Yeah, I think you make a really interesting point, too, about the sort of the way that coloring and imagery suggests the sexiness or heat level or number of flames. Like, you know, you, you talk about the Debbie McComber or or Robin Carr, right? The Virgin River series, very mm-hmm. much the same sort of landscape. It's like a a house and then a, a, a dock leading a out dock to a river. A dock or a fence. Or yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if you think about it and compare it to, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey, which is just a mask <laughs> of like that someone would which I not if that's one of the sequels I don't remember which one but like on a very grayscale black and white kind of cover mm-hmm. versus you know like there there really is some signaling that is kind of intentionally being done there which is kind of kind of interesting it's one of the things that I think especially as we have moved more into abstract I guess maybe you could call those covers or illustrated covers mm-hmm. there is less of that random torso signaling being done yeah and then with the illustrated covers there's no indication of heat level right and there that conversation has also been happening online so it's kind of another thing that i've been thinking about as far as cover indicating what you're gonna get like i am looking at 
books that are, you know, they're released in trade paperback size, the bigger size. They mm-hmm. might have a drawing of a person on it, or they might have some kind of abstract outlining on it. And those two books could be the absolute same as far as heat level, because there isn't anything now that like has that that rubric for this would be this or that would be that. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if there ever was that kind of rubric beyond, like, clinch cover equals sexy Mm -hmm. versus barn or a a (laughs) lake (laughs) or a rock. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, because you mentioned the the trade paperback versus I, I you didn't say versus but like i think the alternative is the mass market so mm-hmm. for folks who are a little bit less familiar that the trade paperbacks are the ones that are a little bigger you know it's maybe like a eight or nine inches by four or five or five or six i don't know i'm very bad at math i'm looking at a whole stack of them <laughs> right next to me and then you know the the mass markets are the ones that you w- would see in a lot of places but including on the aisle on a grocery store right they're just the mm-hmm. smaller more compact the reason I mentioned the stack that is sitting next to me is that I can see five of them from where I'm sitting right now. And that would not, when we started this podcast just three and a half years ago, that would not have been the case. They were mm. very, it was very much a mass market paperback situation. Mm-hmm. The mass markets are, are gen- tend to be cheaper, you know, more like in the six, seven dollar range, I would say, whereas the trade paperbacks, the bigger ones are more in the like 10 to 15. Mm-hmm. And that has meant a lot for romance authors, right? To be able to sell books to more mainstream audiences for mm-hmm. higher prices is a big deal. And I completely understand why someone would want to relaunch a book in that way, mm. or relaunch it from trade paperback to mass market if you want. I, uh, and yet, here's where here's where the butt part comes in, right? Mm-hmm. I uh, So the Kiss Quotient, which yes. uh, we are both on records as being huge fans of by Helen Wong. Uh. It's a wonderful book. It came out three or four years ago probably one of the first books that we talked about on the podcast. And it's fantastic. It's so good. And it's being re-released. It was actually came out in trade, that bigger size. Mm -hmm. It's being re-released as mass market with a different cover. And, you know, the third book in the trilogy is coming out later this year. So I totally get it. And also, I'm a little like, I don't want to forget that I own this book and accidentally rebuy it. You know, like I, I'm, I'm a little torn, right? Because it's only been three or four years. It, it's not vivid, right? It hasn't been out for 25 years and it's being republished as a hardcover. It's sort of like a, I want as many people as possible to be exposed to this book, but there are a lot of books out there that they're doing this and rebranding and re-envisioning and that's fine. Everybody gets to do what they want. But I also am a little like, why? Like the cover of The Kiss Motion is so burned into my brain and now they're re- they're redoing it and changing it and I don't know I think it's probably just the cranky old person in me that is like why is this happening I think that's allowed absolutely allowed but I got to say the mass market cover for the kiss quotient is like ideal like mm-hmm. if that had been the original cover for that book I would own like four copies cuz I would see it and buy it every time I saw it it's just like it's such a gorgeous cover and I'm so glad that it exists. I don't know why it exists. I'm with you there. Like I it came out in trade, it did very well in trade and now they're trying to reach different markets, I guess, because like the big thing was that it was coming it was going to be in Walmart, right? So mm. Walmart buyers have a very different 
kind of purchasing process or something because they sell a lot more mass markets actually in in walmart than trade size Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. like if the goal was to reach that audience and to broaden sales to a different market i totally get it yeah i don't know why they waited so long but you know whatever works (laughs) yeah yeah because actually the wedding date released in a mass market size but with the same cover almost it's still red with that like quintessential black and white line drawing on it it's just smaller Mm -hmm. they just shrunk it Mm -hmm. and that's uh the wedding date by jasmine guillory that came out the same year as the kiss quotient yeah so they're doing something there and it must be working indeed so good on them (laughs) And that's the thing. Yeah, like me being cranky doesn't mean that I don't want these very talented authors to be able to uh, be exposed to new audiences. So that's why. Yeah, because like, sometimes it's very confusing when you see a re-release of a book. Like, what was it? Bad Bachelor. I know exactly what the cover of Bad Bachelor looks like because I keep accidentally almost buying it again. But that's the original cover, which has a very distinctive man on it, distinctive color text and all of that. And then all of a sudden, I'm scrolling through new releases, and I see this cartoon cover, and it's like fully cartoon, like it's got a drawing of a cityscape in the background. And I'm thinking, don't I know that book? But Mm -hmm. my brain is so attached to the actual cover, the original cover, that I wasn't actually connecting the books with each other. Just the fact that like, I feel like that book came out before, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, like with situations like that where it's been a while and there hasn't been like sort of this pre-announcement of it happening that Mm -hmm. it's kind of like they're mostly doing it for new people who are looking for a certain kind of cover. Didn't the same thing happen with a Tessa Deer book and it was like an awful cover, like an awful, awful illustrated cover? (laughs) I mean, I love Tessa Dare and I love this book, so I'm not going to name it. But I think there is a case to be made that this does not always go wonderfully for everyone. The transition back to illustrated cover does not always go great all of the time. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's I mean, you're to be clear, you're not wrong <laughs> at all. If you've but, seen it, you know, I'm just going to say that i think yeah i think it's a your mileage may vary situation okay that's acceptable i accept that your mileage may vary yeah all right well let us know what you all think of covers are you inclined to repurchase the same book with a different cover are you accidentally inclined to repurchase the same book with a different cover do you not care do not even look at covers what is your situation let us know and then we will report out on the next the next edition of cover coverage cover clatch if you have feelings about what we should name this segment, please let, let us, us know. know. <laughs> let us know that, too. I kind of like cover clutch. It, it reminds me of going to a library conference. <laughs> cover clinch clutch. Clinch clutch. Clinch clutch. We don't even have to talk. We don't, cover doesn't even have to be a part of it. Let us know. We and everybody. We need... We need <laughs> sounds like we may need some input. Give us what you got. We may have gone round the bend too far to be able to actually do this ourselves. <laughs> Help us. <laughs> Help us. Help us. The wedding romance story. 
All right, let us do another ad spot. This episode is sponsored by Changing the Rules by Catherine Bybee. Elite security personnel Claire and Cooper are assigned a new mission. Go undercover together at a California high school to root out the mastermind behind a prostitution ring targeting young girls. But the closer they get to the truth, and the closer they get to each other, the deadlier their mission becomes. These undercover partners protect the innocent, but can they guard their own hearts? Read Changing the Rules by Catherine Bybee, the first steamy novel in her new Richter series. Bybee is a best-selling author, and this is the first steamy novel in her adrenaline-fueled new Richter series. The series features a cast of brand new characters, as well as some old favorites. Catherine Bybee has written 28 books that have hit the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today bestseller lists. So once again, that is Changing the Rules by Catherine Bybee. All right, Jess. We have some reading challenges that are coming up. It's spring. It's it's time to do something new, check out something different, read something, read something new and different. And add extremely to your TBR. Well, yeah, sure. There's that too. Yeah. So we like reading challenges. One of one of my favorite reading events, I guess you would call it, because it's it's kind of a challenge, but it's kind of just a big thing that people take part in, is Rom Book Love. Same. And it's a month of prompts and list posts and a bunch and just like a lot of joyous delight over romance based on various themes. It's very inclusive. It's actively inclusive. Like the the coordinators work to ensure that they are including a lot of different kinds of romance from a lot of people from various backgrounds and marginalizations. And it's just it's it's a fun month. And it starts, if you're listening to this on Monday, it starts today. So check out the hashtag ROM, R-O-M, book, B-K, love, L-O-V-E, and join in on the fun. Indeed. And I will uh, link to it in the show notes as well. So you can just click right through. That's one that you and I have both been a part of in the past too. And we know the folks who are running it now. And it's, yeah, that's a, that's a very fun one. But since it hadn't started yet, and there were <laughs> others that had, you flagged, and I hadn't seen this because I'm not on Twitter as much, but um, you flagged the Spring Into Love Bingo board, which goes, if I'm not mistaken, Jess, it goes either late March or early April through the end of May. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there's, you know, because it's a whole bingo board. What is that? Four or five by four or five? Oh, look who doesn't know how to play bingo. (laughs) Look who doesn't know what a Dutch oven is or how to play bingo. Great job, Trisha. It's a five by five and the the middle of the board, this is a um, not quite quarterly, but it's a pretty regular challenge by the people who organize it. So there was a a fall one and a winter one and now the spring one. And uh, the middle of the board is always HEA. So that's your free spot because everything Uh you read is going to be in HEA. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's got all kinds of things that you can attached to a book and it doesn't have to be like the key theme of the book it can just be something that is noticeable or recognized as you're reading like one of the prompts is forearms and mm-hmm. um i used yes. one where the mental narrator of one of whatever book i was reading actually was like forearms and there was like a sighing moment about their love interest <laughs> forearms so but it doesn't have to be that prominent in your reading and you know there's like a map 
or spring vacation or set in continental Europe, which I am having so much trouble finding. I gotta tell you. Um, But I know it exists somewhere. Well, what have you been able to find as you have been looking and reading and exploring, Jess? Well, one of the categories is secrets. And you all might recall that I am not actually huge on keeping secrets, but sometimes it's okay. And in one of those situations, it's The Lady's Champion by Marie Lipscomb. Um, She's a new author to me, and this is the first in her sort of historical fantasy series featuring people who are not of Hollywood size, which is delightful. And in this one, the lady of the manor, or it's not really a manor, it's a castle, um, has has switched out her role to pretend to be a pub wench, basically, so she can meet these champions. They're basically gladiators that go on the road. It's like the night circuit, right? So they go on the road and they fight each other and win competitions and then move on to the next town. Oh, we've all seen a knight's tale, Jess. We get it. Yeah. Yeah. So she's gone down to the tavern where everyone is celebrating. And because of various circumstances, the castle is taken and lots of people are murdered. And she and one of the champions, Brandon the Bear, have basically been run out of town for their own survival. And her big secret that she's keeping is that she is the person who basically rules the area. So she she doesn't want to tell him because she's basically responsible for it happening in her mind. She's obviously not responsible. The brigands are. But like, so that's the big secret that she's keeping in that one. So that's The Ladies' Champion by Marie Lipscomb. It's really good. There are more in the series, and she basically writes all fat characters. It's great. Um, another square is Black Love, which is two or more black people falling in love, getting there happily ever after. And the one that I wanted to recommend, I've actually recommended before. Well, I haven't. I was. I talked about it when I was still reading it, actually. So Yeah, I think you were feeling good about it, but hadn't finished it yet. Right. I hadn't finished it yet, but now I have. And it is a little bonkers at the end, but really, really good. And that is Touch Me by Alexandria House, who I am becoming a huge fan of. And I'm glad that she has a whole lot of backlist for me to check out because I'm going to be digging in soon. Hooray. And that's the second in her Romeo University series. I wasn't interested in the first one because it involved a student and professor relationship potentially. But if that is not one of your hard limits, go for checking out the first one in that series as well, because that is also one you can check off for Black Love. I like it. And you mentioned now, (laughs) you have now mentioned both secrets and something that goes a little bit bonkers at a point. So I'm going to step in here because it turns out that Despite having one square in common, we have two books in common. Uh, so <laughs> I I uh, saw the secret square as well. And you are correct that the secrets that you described are, are maybe appropriate to keep, at, at least until someone's comfortable. These are a little different. So <laughs> I have recently been reading and have not yet finished, but I'm, I'm about three quarters of the way through The Kindred Spirits Supper Club mm-hmm. by Amy Reichert. I think of this book as a romance. Some people might think of it as commercial fiction, but I... 
very it's very much focused on a, a central couple. Here's the reason why Sabrina, who has had to return home to Wisconsin after losing her job, is keeping a secret from Ray, who she recently has met. He is actually not from Wisconsin, but he is uh, he's sort of like this New York real estate guy who does not want to be that. So he takes the opportunity to go spend some time with an uncle. And when the book opens, the uncle uh, is quite ill and early on, it's not a spoiler to say, uh, passes away. The reason it's not a spoiler is because the secret that Sabrina is keeping is that she and her family are the family in the state of Wisconsin that see ghosts, Mm -hmm. right? So yeah, so you know, Mm -hmm. uh, someone dies and they go to Sabrina and her family to help them with whatever unfinished business they have so that they can pass into the next life. It sounds weird, and it's a little weird, but it's also incredibly charming. It's this, like, family curse, and there's this spirit who has been sort of with the family for as long as anyone who's living can remember named Molly, who, (laughs) as it turns out, her secret thing that she needs to get sorted out is tied into Ray's family. So Sabrina does not want to tell Ray that uh, she can see and talk to ghosts, but I have a feeling she's going to have to to get everything sorted out. Anyway, it is actually, it's very charming. It's um, Amy Reichert is, is very much a, of Wisconsin. You can, you uh-huh. can sort of like get the feel of it, the supper club, the descriptions of cheese curds and whatnot. <laughs> and it's a, it's, I think it's going to be a really good summer read because they're, it's, you know, right up there in the water. So anyway, so that is the Kindred Spirits Supper Club. It is very much a secrets book. My next one, like I said, is a little bananas in a lot of ways. I, okay. I think this fits in the folklore category, although I'm not 100% sure. So I need your input on this. So the book that I want to talk about is Bear's Gold by Yvette Hines. It's a shifter erotic romance Mm -hmm. sort of based on Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Okay. And I don't think Goldilocks and the Three Bears is a fairy tale, so I called it folklore. But here's the thing I realized right before we started recording, Jess. Mm -hmm. Do the bears eat Goldilocks at the end of? Goldilocks and the Three Bears. You know, I I don't I don't think so. Okay, I couldn't remember. I was like, sometimes there are witches, and Hansel and Gretel get eat, or maybe they don't get eaten either. I don't know. Well, you know, like there's probably a version of Goldilocks where the bears eat her, like because you know the the original folk tales were way darker than anything that we grew up with. <laughs> well, sure. All right. Okay. Well, let's all agree that. Uh. I don't, I'm trying to figure out how to say this <laughs> is accurate. I think you know why. Let's just say Riley Gold, who is the Goldilocks character in Bear's Gold, does not die at the end of this book. Hmm. There is no death. It is, this book was actually originally, I can't even remember. I wish I could remember where she recommended it. But Rebecca Weatherspoon recommended this on a podcast or in an interview or something that she did once. Mm-hmm. And it is just sort of like a lovely, light, under 200 pages romance again erotic romance where this woman uh, riley is trying to get away from an abusive relationship and she ends up in oregon i think she randomly winds up in a cabin she stays for the night and then finds that uh there is a man and his children slash cubs who live there they are shifters they are bear shifters there's sort of this like fantasy folklore possibly fairy tale element uh again i'm not really sure where the where the lines there are <laughs> but it's yeah it's a lot of fun they are you know like it's just 
lovely little small town where everybody's a little unusual and it's very charming. Um, so there is this sort of like past in jeopardy and blah, blah, blah. But for one that I think counts for folklore, we're going to go Bears Gold by Yvette Hines. We'll take it. Absolutely. All right. You want to sneak one more in? I'm going to sneak this in because I've read about 30 pages of it, but I have the feeling I'm going to devour this book. And it is it will probably work to check off your spring cleaning box. And that is The Hate Project by Chris Ripper. It's the follow-up book to The Love Study, which you might recall me squeeing about several months ago. And this one involves their friend Oscar, who, if, if you look at the back of the book, there's just a giant, the giant sentence that says, Oscar is a grouch. Um, which Aww. is perfect. Um, and the text is kind of green, too. It's it's so good. So Oscar does not like the work that he does because he has severe anxiety, and the work that he does does not really mesh well with that. So he ends up being offered a job by his frenemy-turned-one-night-stand-turned-something-else, and it involves cleaning out deceased relatives' home. So that's why I thought it would probably work for spring cleaning, because I don't know if it's spring in the book, but it's spring right now, and it's a mo- it's a book about cleaning. So, boom, spring cleaning. Totally counts. Totally counts. <laughs> and, you know, I just love uh, Chris Ripper's work. I think that Z is a great writer and storyteller. So if I find a way to recommend Chris's stuff, I will do it. But that doesn't mean that I'm trying to shoehorn this in. It should work. I'm telling you. I mean, if my Goldilocks story fits for go- for folklore, I think I think you're good. <laughs> okay. Okay. And I've got one more too that I will I will do a quick shout out for. There's a category in Spring into Love Bingo for out of comfort zone. And so um, I was thinking back on a book that I read and loved a uh, you know, a few, maybe several, even years ago now, called "In the Middle of Somewhere" by Roan Parrish. It's possible I've talked about it, but it's a a book about a I want to say like mid to late twenties uh, Daniel who is wants to be a college professor and has always been in Philadelphia, and he has sort of this kind of blue collar working class family that he has not always felt super comfortable with, but now in you know, it, but it was a city at least and. Now he's looking at this job at this very small college in northern Michigan where he also doesn't feel super comfortable because it's a small town and, you know, you can be whatever college community you want, but it, it can still be tough in a in a small town. And so he almost immediately, even just going to interview there, meets Rex, who is kind of a handyman sort of person around the college who also doesn't feel quite like he fits in for different reasons. They meet, they hit it off. The chemistry between the two of them is just really lovely and compelling and charming. And I feel like this is a book where a lot of the conflict and friction comes from sort of outside forces and feelings that the the connection between the two of them, although it sometimes feels a little bit precarious, it's not because of either one of them. They're just both really lovely, well-meaning characters who a lot of the conflict comes from the fact that they're out of their comfort zones. And so if you are looking for a book to fit in the out-of-comfort-zone box and spring into love bingo, I would take a look at In the Middle of Somewhere by Roan Parrish. Awesome. Well, there it is. We basically did bingo for everyone, Jess. 
<laughs> or tried. We bingoed them. I'm not sure if we've made it across any of the rows, but, you know, we helped. Well, <laughs> and I mean, if the rows were, as I said, four by five or three <laughs> by seven or whatever, it would have been fine. Been so fine. I blame bingo. <laughs> All right. I think we uh, have reached the end of this episode. Huge thanks, as always, to our wonderful audio editor, Jen Zink. Please find us on social media and email wheninromance at bookriot.com. Let us know, first of all, your questions or thoughts about Vivid. If you have them, uh, send those before March 13th. Please let us know what you know about kitchen appliances and romances. (laughs) How you feel about covers. What we should be calling our apparently new segment about romance covers, what kind of reading challenges or bingos or book loves you are doing. Again, you send those notes to us at wheninromance at bookriot.com. And if you want to reach out to us on the socials, you can find me on Twitter at Jess's Reading, all one word, or on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading. And you can find me uh, on both. I'm more likely to be on Instagram, but either is at Trisha Haley Brown. So uh, send us. Yeah, we uh, we have a lot we need to hear from all of you. So mm-hmm. uh, also, please do rate and review the podcast at whatever platform you're listening to. It helps folks find it. And I don't know, Jess, is that is we <laughs> we've covered ghosts, shifters, you know, small cabins, cleaning. <laughs> I don't think we I don't think there's anything we have left to do. I, I don't think we do. Let's let's just. Take it out while we got it. I like it. Take it out (laughs) while we got it. Maybe our new tagline. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening. And if you're able, happy reading.